Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Ground Buster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Shannon Smith Millen, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fabulous. Thank you, Leonard. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, you know, we got to meet at the reunion. I, I knew of you years and years and years ago, uh, back when we were racing Mickey Thompson. I don't think our paths crossed very many times. Um, but wow, what a career you had that I had no idea about. Okay. So I, I, I want to start at the beginning, if you don't mind. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Where did you come into the ATV world? Well, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Lake Arrowhead. And in growing up in Lake Arrowhead, we had um, um, my dad was uh, in the Forest Service and he was one of the uh, one of the chiefs of the Forest Service. And so we actually lived on the Forest Service property in Lake Arrowhead. And and there was a few dirt roads kind of back behind us that were on the Forest Service property. Um, and then the National Forest right there. And so it took a lot of talking my dad into it, but he ended up buying me an ATC. Um, and this must have been back in 1980, 79, maybe 78. And it was an ATC 110. I know it was just the coolest thing on the face of the planet. Oh, yeah. And uh, remember those days. And I rode the wheels off of that. And there was myself and a neighbor, and, and we just rode the wheels off of that thing. And a year later, he uh, uh, he bumped it up, and you know, Christmas came around, and I got a 185s, which had suspension, right? And so that was that was even cooler and amazing. And and uh, again, riding in the forest and the woods, and and this 185s, and it was so much fun. And then I started getting the magazines from the market, you know, the all the uh, three and four wheel action magazines, and started thumbing through those and. And eventually we got a, uh, I think like a year later, we got the 200X. And I had um, um, convinced my dad after a year that we needed to go race this 200X. I had some friends in high school that raced. They took me to a race down at Glen Helen and they had some ATCs racing. And I watched these ATCs race. And I, I, I told my dad, you know, I said, if we can, I can do this. And he said, you know, oh, girls don't raise, you don't need to go hurt yourself. And, and uh, it took, uh, it literally took probably eight or nine months for me to convince my dad we needed to race. And, and um, I talked him into it. We went to a, uh, an SRA Grand Prix at, uh, at, um, oh, oh my gosh, where did they film the Dukes of Hazard? Uh, was that race course out there? Um, help me out, Leonard. Um, I didn't, I didn't Indian know dunes? That. Is that it? it? Indian dunes? dunes, Indian dunes. I think it was. Okay. Indian dunes. Yep. Indian dunes. And we went out there and that was my first race was a grand prix at Indian dunes and, uh, um, in the beginner class. And this was on this 200 X and there must've been, God, 25, 30 guys in the beginner line. And I ended up like in fifth or sixth place in this beginner class. And I was 14 years old on a 200 X uh, racing at Indian Dunes, not knowing anything about what we were doing, bone stock. And it was just the most fun I'd ever had. And I, I think it was the most fun my mom and dad had ever had. And so after that, we ended up signing up for the, the, uh, following the local series and, and just continued doing local races with, I believe back then it was double cross and SRA and they held these grand prix races and, I would thumb through the magazines and see all my favorite writers and, and, uh, had, I just wanted to be like them. I'd go home and build, build jumps in the backyard and, and just ride and practice. And, and, uh, eventually, um, 
I was at a race and I came across Wayne Meridian with PEP on my, and I was on the 200 X and I was doing really well. And he convinced my dad that uh, I needed to get into quad racing and he talked my dad into quad racing. And so we got a quad and he set it all up for me and went out and I did it, started doing some racing on those and started doing really well. And, um, it just kind of took off from there. I got noticed pretty quickly by quite a few sponsors and, and, uh, eventually signed a, uh, a support contract with, uh, at the time it was American Suzuki and, and, um, we started just doing the pro races. I bumped up to, I only did a, just a few races in the amateur classes on the quad before I bumped up in the pro class. So that was, you, yeah. And, you were the only female pro at the time, weren't you? Yeah. Yes, I was. And, you know, it, it never dawned on me like that because I just, I grew up in a neighborhood with, you know, there was just a couple of other uh, kids in the neighborhood and, you know, we rode BMX bikes in the summertime and the, the, the ATCs and then, and, and it was just, we were just always competitive with each other and it wasn't boys versus girls or anything like that. It was just lining up on the line and having our, our mountain races. And, and so it was just, it was just always about the competition. It was never about the, the, the gender or, or anything like that. That never, honestly, it never crossed my mind. I never thought of myself as, as different or unique. You know, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't in my head. How did, the, how did the men or, cause you were racing against men at that point. Yeah. How did the men take it when this little bitty girl was coming in there and, rub, and rubbing elbows with them? You know, it, it did, it, it did cross my mind a few times because I was, I was small at the time. You know, I think I weighed like 115 pounds with my gear on and, you know, here I am 14, 15, you know, 16 years old. And, uh, and it was hard hanging onto a lot of the tracks because a lot of the tracks, you had to kind of manhandle the bike on quite a bit of the tracks. And, uh, um, some of the guys, you know, some of the guys were just, they were faster than me and on, on a good day, I can give them a run for their money and, and maybe even, you know, finish ahead of them in a heat race. Um, and, uh, some of the guys weren't, weren't that into it though. They didn't, they didn't like the fact that I kind of stepped up and kind of came out of nowhere and was, was, uh, was doing relatively good. And so, you know, there was a handful of guys that, that were, that were really good with it. And then there was just a, a couple of guys that it did not rub them the right way. But you did it anyways and didn't care. Oh, I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care. I had a few sly remarks here and there. And and I think my comeback was always something to the effect of I couldn't hear them there behind me. What were they saying again? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, and nice. that would make them even more upset because it really didn't bother me. I mean, I, I loved racing and I just I got so much enjoyment out of it that that a bad day to me was, you know, a day that I crashed out or my bike broke or something like that. But as far as the competition, I, I didn't care what anybody thought. It just didn't phase me at all. You know, every day was a good day and a fun day at the races. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I knew that there was a couple of guys out there that didn't like me, but it was like, pff, you know, that's their problem. You spent most of your time on the West coast. Yeah. Yeah. We did. We did primarily West coast racing. We did some of the AATVA races. We did the golden state nationals. Uh, at the time, I think it was the AMA golden state nationals. Um, a lot of local racing did the Mickey Thompson, uh, quite a few of the Mickey Thompson races. Uh, there was Suzuki had some provo uh, promotional races where they did the supercross series. Um, and the quads would do a, uh, a promotional event, like they would do like a halftime show. And that was a qualifying series where, where they would take 18 or they would take 20, but the first 18 would get a start and, you know, line up on the race and race. And so that was one of the highlights of my career was third place at the LA Coliseum Supercross on the uh, 250 quad. That's pretty impressive because yeah, they had, they had some good riders back then. They had, they had excellent riders. I mean, it was, the, the competition was always fierce, you know, and then, and then, like I said, you had those guys that did not want to be beat by a, a girl. And so, um, you know, I would, my, my, uh, my radar would be up, you know, and not making sure I wasn't opening myself up in a corner or something to that effect to, uh, get any type of pit maneuver or put on, <laughs> knocked on my head. 
but uh, there was fierce comp- competition. A lot of guys were fast. And so um, I was I was always right there knocking on their door in the event that they bobbled. And uh, and there was races there that uh, that I could get them and could and could win. Um, I suffered a, a pretty bad collarbone break at the uh, 87 Mickey Thompson race. And that set me back just a little bit. It was uh, going up the peristyle on uh, press day. And so the peristyle, they'd kind of put a jump in the middle and a couple of riders had crashed at the very top. And so to miss the crash, I kind of changed my line a little bit and I didn't clear the double at the top and that flipped the bike over and, and pretty much catapulted me into the arch, into the <clears throat> arch and, uh, and, uh, did a number. I, I woke up in the ambulance, uh, on the way to the hospital and, and was a little bit broken up from that. So that, that put me out. That's it. That was a little bit of a setback. Um, and then, uh, soon after that, I made a transition into cars, but I did continue to race the Mickey Thompson series for about one more year through the 88 season. So that happened in 87 and by 88, you transitioned into cars. Uh, or the end of 88, 89, I transitioned. So I finished the 88 season and did Mickey Thompson races and, and, uh, usually like in fifth or sixth in the ones that we went to. And so. That that's pretty impressive. You you did a lot of off road style stuff as well too, didn't you? I mean, yeah. as far as the 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 GP style races in Southern California. Yeah, we did a lot of the off road, a lot of the GP style racing. That was that was kind of my favorite. And again, I think a lot of it came down to you know doing the motocross stuff on the quad was hard because because I was small and so kind of manhandling the bike on 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 the big jumps and. And through the whoops was was really difficult because it's a lot of you know it's a lot of bike, um, but the the Grand Prix style races I had a lot more endurance than a lot of the guys, and so I could out endure them. And there was a an invitational um, uh, team race that I teamed up with Mark Earhart with, and uh, all the pros were there. There was a lot of pros. I think Jimmy and Jeff Watts and and. Uh, Oh gosh, a whole slew of them. And so Mark and I went out there and, and, uh, I think we won by lap and a half, maybe two laps. <laughs> and so that was, that was a fun time. Oh, that that's awesome. What did you do to train? Um, I did a lot of riding. Uh, we had a lot of practice tracks, so I would get done, um, you know, at the time I was in high school and so I would get out of school and, uh, uh, I'd usually get out of school early because I didn't have PE and I'd end up going to, um, um, uh, we had, we'd built a, a practice track up on the mountain kind of hidden out in the woods. And so we'd go out to this practice track and go out there and practice out there, uh, at mountain bikes had kind of just started coming into style. So I did a lot of mountain bike riding and cross training with my mountain bike. And so being up in Lake Arrowhead, you know, I just, we had so many hills and, and, uh, climbs and it was such an amazing place to train and to cross train. So I did a lot of cross training, mountain biking, and, uh, just riding lots and lots of riding. And to me, the riding was the best. Um, and when I wasn't riding, I mean, I would sit home and, and, uh, I'd get on my exercise bike and I would, I would bike at night. I would, I would lift weights at night. Um, just. Like I never stopped training. The amount of training I did from for about the four years that I was racing was absolutely intense. And that was just to to be able to keep up with these guys. And still to this day, I haven't heard of a a, a female professional rolling into that environment. Oh, really? Well, that's too bad. There's women professionals, but they're in the women's division. Right. Right. And, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, um, and that's, I, I can kind of see it and kind of not, you know, as far as, as far as like the quad racing goes. Um, but a lot of it comes down to, to, to the finesse of riding the bike. Like, like I, well, like I was talking about, you know, there was some tracks that I just couldn't be as fast as like, like, like the bigger guys, like Brian Fry and, you know, some of these guys that could just literally manhandle these bikes. Um, 
I had to have a writing style that I utilized my suspension and, and had a lot of finesse with it and didn't fight the bike, but had to kind of flow with the bike. Um, and so, and I did, that required just a lot of training. And, and I was fortunate enough that, that Wayne at PEP had set my bike up just amazing for me. I mean, he had, he had done so much engineering on my quad to make it so I had to put out as the least amount of energy as possible for that bike to function, you know, at the level that it did. Um, but it would, unless you have a big field of, of women, I don't see why, you know, the, the racing couldn't be co-ed. Well, in a, in most of the series that you have now, um, <clears throat> like, the the ATVA motor the ATV motocross and the World Off Road Championship Series the work series the right. ladies can run in other classes that the that the men are in but there's also a women's division okay. that they race in as well um, and they do they uh, last year Tori Matisic got uh, third in the pro am division uh, you know racing so she put herself on the box which was outstanding. Um, not last year, the year before, excuse me. Now she races women's pro and then she'll race the men's pro-am, but still it, it's great that they go out and compete. Now there's two or three gals that'll go race that pro-am race where it was just her before. Right. And it's elevating their whole class, um, in cross country on the, on the East coast, there's women's divisions. They race in the morning with the four by four pros and other classes. So there's no chance for them to go and race in the XC2 or the XC1 class unless they move up to that division. Right. And then, then they're not, then I don't think that they can race back. So I don't, I don't know exactly how the rules are written. Um, and in your ATV pros in the motocross, uh, they will race in the B or A classes, depending on, what level they are uh, right and, and and see how they're doing um and they do quite well and that's and that's awesome and and if they're dominating and they're in their you know in a particular division just absolutely dominating it would only make sense to move up into the next division um you know at the time if 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 there had been enough women i mean i i, I don't know why i wouldn't race it because like i said it wasn't about going out and beating guys. I mean, it was never about that with ever. It was about racing. I just loved to go as fast as I could go. And I wanted to win and finish and finish first. And it had nothing to do with, with gender whatsoever. Um, and so I would imagine if there was a, a, a female, you know, a women's class at the time and in the, uh, ATCs and in the quads, I, I would have happily raced in it because it was just, it was about the racing for me. And so I wasn't out to, to, to prove any points or anything. Now, if I had been so dominant in a, in a women's class, you know, in a women's division, then I think the next, the next step would have been, you know, to move up into the men's class, but all there was, was men. And I just, that was the environment I grew up in. You know, I, I raced on snow skis my entire life and, and, and when we were racing as kids, it wasn't boys and girls classes. It was, it was the slalom and giant slalom classes, you know, when I was racing. And so everything was just integrated. And I was only one of, of a few girls that was doing the slaloms and giant slalom racing. And so everything that I've ever kind of competed in, um, it was just against guys because that's all there was. And so do you believe, and I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyways, do you believe that there is a difference between men and women? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're built different, <laughs> you know, women are built to have kids and, and, and so we're built different, you know, I mean, physiologically, anatomically, women are built different than men. And a lot of the reasons that I couldn't compete on some of the tracks, I didn't have the physical strength. I didn't have the physical strength because not because I didn't train. It was because I'm built different. You know, I mean, I guess I could have, you know, dead weights and, and, and all of that. But when it comes right down to it, just our anatomy is different. And, and so 
the it it just makes it more difficult, you know, when 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 something is based on strength. And and I'm not saying this as every single person, but on average, men are stronger than women. I mean, that's just the way it is. If I need the spaghetti top off of the spaghetti container, I can't get it. I call my son and he pops it right off. I don't know why. <laughs> He's stronger right. than me, you know, and, and he has more strength. And, and so, you know, and it's not, this isn't, this doesn't apply to every single person in the world, but in general, yeah, you know, we're, there's a difference, you know. And, 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 and I'm not- I don't want to say that there isn't because I know there is. Uh, you take a 140 pound male and a 140 pound female, the 140 40 pound male is stronger. Mm-hmm. No, it, it just is. is. Yeah. And, it, you know, I knew it. Uh, you know, I mean, I knew that, that, that there, the, the competition, the guys that I was racing against were stronger than me. And they were going to do better than me on some courses because they're stronger than me. It had nothing to do with anything else, you know, when it came right down to it, but brute strength on some things. And I didn't have it. You know, when I go to the track right now, I can't push my bike into the back of the truck. I got to get a guy to help me (laughs) (laughs) or three women. (laughs) We can push that thing up there, but it's, it's, there is a difference. You know, and there are some sports that that it that a difference doesn't matter, you know, and there are some tracks that that the smoother, faster tracks that that um, were more finesse than they were physical strength. And I think of the first thing that comes into my mind was like Paris back in the old days, you know, Paris racetrack and Paris motocross track was a beast. And it had tight turns and they dipped in steep hills and you had to hang on and. I mean, it was brute strength. And, and that was a track that I knew that if the, the, the bigger guys that were just pretty much as fast as me showed up at that track, that, that uh, it was going to be tough for me to win, you know. Um, but tracks that were faster, longer, had required more endurance. I felt like I could beat those, you know, beat the guys on those tracks simply because we're built different, you know. And you endurance trained and most of those guys didn't. No, no. And I did a lot of endurance training. You know, it was just a lot of mountain biking and I did lift weights. I would go home and lift weights. But one thing that I, that I struggled and struggled and struggled with was arm pump and arm pump would be the death of me. You know, um, I think I could have, I should have gotten second and I could have given Brian Fry even more of a run for his money at the Supercross had it not have been the arm pump, I could not physically hang on to the bike. I mean, it was like all I could do the last lap to hang on to that bike and, and keep that thing underneath me because my arms had pumped up and I had lost all the strength in my hand. And I was in the best physical fitness shape on the face of the planet. And I could not hang on to that bike to save my life. And I held on for third. Um, but but I, I just, I ran out of strength. You know, my hands were small. I had to have my bars kind of shaved down so my hands could fit around the bars. You know, we had to put special levers on because my hands were small. And so I couldn't reach the levers and just pulling the, the, the clutch and stuff in Wayne I had to make modifications on my clutch and my brake so I could reach it with my, my little girl hands, <laughs> you know, so. You, you bring up a good point about the the things that Wayne did for you. And we had a brief conversation with Wayne at the reunion, and I know you were involved in it, that he spent a lot of time with you and that machine making changes to fit you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite a bit. And, and again, a lot of it comes back to the strength thing, like you, like you said, and making that bike work for me in such a way that I was expending as, as, the the least amount of energy as possible because I only had a finite amount of strength, you know, regardless of how much strength training I did. And I did a lot. I did strength training too, but, but, um, um, he made a lot of adjustments and changes on that bike to, to customize it, you know, and then we'd get another bike and he'd have to make all the new changes and stuff to the next bike. And, and, uh, but quite a few to, to make it. So it worked for me, you know, they don't make suspension for, 
115 pound pro riders. <laughs> right. And I mean, those bikes were built for guys that weighed 160 pounds. You know, and you got bigger guys out there that way, you know, 160 were the smaller guys. I mean, I literally was 115 to 120 on a, on a heavy day. And so the modifications he had to make so that thing wouldn't buck me off. And so it would absorb, you know, the whoops and, and jumps and the, and the, uh, the beatings that I put it through, he had to do all kinds of changes to it. So have you had any involvement with any of the modern day ATVs? No, I haven't. You know, once I stepped out of ATV racing and went into cars, um, I just, I never really stepped back into it. And that's one thing I was having a conversation with a friend today that, boy, I just, I wish I kept those bikes and, and had that stuff. And, you know, even if it was something collecting dust in the, in, in my, in my hangar, I would still, I just miss them. You know, I really do. So and I haven't, I couldn't imagine you know, looking at the machines that we had, and then I, I was looking at some of the machines that were at the reunion, and it's like, man, I probably would have been a lot faster on something like that. <laughs> well, I think the four-stroke, the modern-day four-stroke, not your 185S motor that you're thinking of four-stroke, right. but the four-stroke motors that we have today extend the careers. Your eight-time national motocross champion, um, who's still competing at 38 years old, mm -hmm. uh, Chad Weenan, is a prime example of uh, the engine style allowing mm -hmm. him to have a longer career. You know, oh, Bo yeah. Barron on the West Coast is 42. You know, Doug Eichner, when he retired, was almost 50. Right. Wow. Yeah. It, you know, I, I have had, um, I, I switched to, to two-wheelers and started riding uh, motorcycles. And I, uh, I had a trader for what's that trader. I know, I know, but you know, just relating it to the engines. All right. So, <laughs> so relating it to the engines, I would go out on this 125 and clear all the jumps, but man, I had to ride that thing so hard. And a buddy of mine said, Hey, ride my two, my, uh, uh CRF 250 R. It's like, check this bike out. I went out within two laps. I was doing faster lap times clearing the jumps and not breaking half the sweat as I did on my, my 125. And I was like, Oh my God, I need this bike. This is awesome. You know, you, you didn't have to ride it hard and fast and as aggressive as nearly as much for what you had to do with, with the, uh, the older 125. And so I could just imagine taking that and putting it into the ATVs, you know? Yeah. The, the, I think that the four stroke, I know there's a lot of diehard two stroker two strokers that listen to this and are going to totally hate me after I say this, but the four stroke almost saved the industry in making it not as hard on your body to ride. So we have older and older customers, older and older racers, and no offense, young lady, we are older. And when I ride, I have to have certain things on the machines that to, to make it so that it doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. And I don't enjoy the two strokes. Right. Because right. it just kills my joints. And, you know, I'm a one, maybe two ride guy a weekend anyways. Right. Well, you have to ride those bikes up on the pipe. So hard up on the pipe to get any, you know, to, to, to get the, uh, the effective power out of it. And yep. so you have to be so high up on that power band and keeping the bike on the power band is a chore in itself and not letting it come off that power band. And now you're hitting everything just as fast as possible to keep it up on that, on that power. So you're, you're getting the prime power out of it. And, and uh, it's exhausting, <laughs> you know, it, it, <laughs> it is, it is quad of mine. It beat me up. You know, it, it, it started hurting to, 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 to ride. And I was uh, like 18 when I, when I stopped riding the quad, I think I was 19 when I stopped on the quad. And, and it was starting to hurt, you know? Wow. And, and your transition from ATVs to the nature's recipe cars, what was that like? Oh, it was awesome. You know, it came at a time in my life where, um, my, my son had just been, my son was, uh, actually waiting for a heart transplant at Loma Linda. And, uh, um, and then actually, 
let me fast forward. It was after because then we had transitioned back to the same room. Um, and so my son had just received a, a heart transplant from Loma Linda. There was some complications. There were some complications with his pacemaker. Um, and so he was born in 92 in June of 92. And we weren't discharged until just about November of 92. And in that time, um, Jeff Bennett from Nature's Recipe had reached out to me while I was uh, um, while Connor was in the hospital waiting to be discharged. He had already had his transplant. And Jeff had asked me, um, he said, hey, you want to come down and do some testing for the Nature's Recipe cars? We have a car open. We would love to get, you know, to, to get you into one of the cars. It would be kind of neat. They had a female in there. They had Mercedes Gonzalez in one of the cars and he wanted to bring in another girl. And he said, I think it would be great to have an, another female on the team. And I, and I said, well, yeah, sure. You know, that, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. So I went down and did some testing with them at their track and uh, they had a little area out in Corona um, and uh, it worked out really well. They asked if I wanted to drive on the team with them. So, so I, uh, I was integrated into the team from that point for the next race and stayed on the team for a couple of years um, um, until, well, he stayed with the team until the Mickey Thompson races. Um, they they stopped doing them and so kind of was, yeah that was that was a bummer yeah that was that was a it was really sad to see that to see that uh um come to an end because it was such a neat dynasty you know what a great time it was it was the, the camaraderie and and uh the family feeling and that was just an amazing organization to be part of and i feel so fortunate to have been part of like such a such a neat thing in its heyday. I mean, it was just the heyday of stadium racing. We sold out stadiums. Stadiums would have 80 to 89, 90,000 people in them. And it was crazy, you know, and you roll down there and the, the stadium would be packed all the way to the, to the last couple of rows because they didn't want cars flipping into the, into the seats, hurting people. And so they kept those rows open. Other than that, they were jam packed. And well, when we, first started going they had seats all the way to the metal rod rails <laughs> and and then something happened at one of the monster truck events and that's when they started putting you know was it 12 or 15 seats they you know put the covers over them and they right. wouldn't let people in them uh, yeah but it was it was oh. i mean i the rose bowl and the coliseum were my two favorite places to go and race and I personally didn't race, but I was I was becoming uh, a mechanic at the time. Uh -huh. I got to work with guys like Charlie Shepard and Mark Earhart, Don right. Turk, and uh, you know Kenneth Delk. Yeah, I mean, and <clears throat> this every time we went to the Rose Bowl or the Coliseum, we either won or got second. Right, right. All and, fast guys. Yeah, yeah. They were uh, Mark was coming up, and he was he was starting to go real fast, and and. Charlie had been doing it for quite a while. I didn't really know Charlie, um, Don Turk. He was always fast, you know, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, a lot of fun racing with those guys. And it was, it was just such a, such an amazing thing to be part of, you know, I feel just so fortunate to have, have been racing and, and, uh, able to take part in all that. ATV racers today are fortunate because there's so much YouTube video and Instagram and all of these other videos that, right. that stretch it out worldwide. What Mickey's brought the ATV world was international fame mm -hmm. when there was no way to get it out there. The magazines didn't do it justice, right. but they would feature us on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, so needed and, uh, um, and getting the, the publicity out there and, and, and it's, it's so nice to see it, like a resurrection of it. And I hope that it continues to resurrect. And, you know, it's, it's sad because so many tracks are getting closed and, and, you know, where can people go to ride, you know, where can they go to race and bring back the racing again and, and the, uh, the, the stadium type events again. I mean, I think that that's something that could actually come back again. It would be great to see it come back again is bringing back the, the, the truck racing and the stadium racing and, and have a, have a resurrection of that somehow. Um, you know, they, what do they have now? They have the supercross and the, the monster trucks in the stadiums and that's about it. There's no real place to go. I mean, Mickey brought stadium racing 
to people where he just brought the entertainment and the racing to him. Here's your food and the drinks and you can sit there and we will bring these, this, this great entertainment to you. And, and it just, it, that needs to come back. I would, I, I would love for it to come back. And, and they've tried a couple different series. They just have never had the same effect as when Mickey ran it. Right. Right. Whatever he put into the soup made it happen and nobody has the recipe to make it work for, for whatever reason. I mean, he just, back when you heard about the Mickey's at the fairs, Mm-hmm. I mean, that's because that's where they started. There were fairground races. Right. Oh, yeah. We would go to the Orange Show and and we'd go out to the uh, out to the Costa Mesa. And oh, yeah. Yep. I, I remember seeing the, the pictures and hearing some of the stories, you know, when they were just rickety trucks that shouldn't even be racing, <laughs> you know, to what they raced the last year of yeah. Mickey's where, where they were full blown high dollar race cars, you know, and it was physical racing and there was, there was fiberglass going everywhere and the crowd loved it and people could take chunks of truck home with them. And, you know, and, and it was, it was amazing. And that needs to come back. I, I really think to, you know, save the sport or keep the sport going. Um, is somehow bring that back and and give people places to ride and and things to aspire to. I mean, those are things that that made me aspire to want to 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 continue racing and do these local races. I mean, it was gosh, I remember watching these Mickey Thompson races and going down and watching these guys race and when watching, you know, Jimmy White and 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 Mike Coe and and all these all these three wheel greats. And I just thought, God, I want to be like that. You know, I, I, I want to be like that. And I'd go home and start up my, my ATC and go race around and, and, uh, um, practice and practice and practice because that's what I wanted to be like, you know, and it was what you could see at the fairgrounds and what you can see in the racing and, and, and the stadiums and want to aspire to something like that. And, it's giving people, you have to go out and see it to have that aspiration sometimes, you know? Let me ask you this. I want to get off target a little bit here. In your professional life, how does the competitive nature that you had be coming from the ATV racing and, and the car racing, how did that help you through your professional life? Oh, it just kind of gives you the never give up attitude. You know, you can, you can kind of conquer anything. When I was, when I was racing and, and started realizing, man, you know, these guys are bigger than me. They had better bikes. They had faster stuff and I could keep up with them, you know, and we were, we were keeping up with these guys with, with stuff that wasn't nearly like what they had until I became a lot more, um, until I gained more sponsorship. And now in my professional life, it's like, man, just little hurdles, it seems like, you know, it just takes perseverance. And what racing taught me was just to persevere through all this stuff. And you push through it. And, you know, with racing at the end of a race, especially a long race, and you're crusty with mud and your lips are all crusted up and your hands are bleeding from blisters. And, you know, you want nothing more in life than to just get off your bike and and pour a cold hose all over you. But, but you didn't, you, you, persevered through all that you pushed through all that pain to to get to the to get to the end to get to the checkered flag to get to the trophy and in real life it's the same thing it's what is your trophy you know is your trophy finishing college is your trophy landing the job is your is your trophy pushing through another four years of college to get another degree is a different career and so it's it's persevering through all of the life's hurdles to, to get to that checkered flag and, and the checkered flag is what you make it. And you set that goal and you, you push through all this stuff to, to attain your goal and being competitive in racing has really helped me focus on what my goals are and, uh, and achieve them. So did it, did it affect you any way negative because you were too maybe aggressive or competitive? <laughs> Uh, sometimes I'd push the envelope too much and end up on my head. So that, that probably, uh, you know, I was probably too aggressive at times. I, I recall Wayne saying there was times that he had to, 
had to kind of put a leash on and hold me back a few times because of uh, I would bite off more than I could chew sometimes, you know. And so, yeah, you know, possibly with with that, it it leads to, you know, um, biting off more you can chew at, at times in in life too. Yeah, and, but as you get older, you get that discipline of of being able to realize what you're, you know, what's attainable and set attainable goals and and achieve those goals because. You know, like I said, being competitive, you just you push through the the obstacles as best as you can. You figure out how to how to get around it and and how to achieve what you want to achieve and and get out of life what you want to get out of it. And so, you know, in, in racing, I had to push really, really hard to get where I to get where I was because I had to I I felt like I had to train harder because I was a girl and I didn't have the strength. And so I had to train harder. And I, I felt like I had more to prove. And so I worked real hard at, at not so much something to prove, but just wanting to win so bad. You know, I, I knew I was a bit of an underdog because of my size. And so I, I just, I pushed harder and I do that in real life as well is, is no, it's failure is not an option. You know, it's and it's a very trite saying, but it's a very true saying, you know. The realization that you the realization to the statement you made there about being smaller, not because you're female, but because you're smaller. Where did the realization of that come from? Was that something that your parents uh, brought to the table with you or was it just something that you figured out on your own? I figured it out on my own. I mean, you know, it was, I would go out and race these guys and I would, I would try and bump and ram and bang bars and, and nothing would happen. And they would bump and ram and bang bars with me and there I go (laughs) into the wall. And so it didn't take much to realize, you know, the, the laws of physics, (laughs) you know, you got a bigger mass coming at you and well, and I'd go whoop and there I go. And so I was like, hmm, I got to figure out a different plan because I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be uh, pushing Don Turk or uh, Brian Fry out of my way. So I need to figure out a different plan. <laughs> and both of those guys were aggressive and and could could definitely bang bars with the best of them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, I was just I was small and and I knew that those guys could, you know, they'd come up underneath me if I if I got the whole shot. and they were trying to gain a position or whatnot on me. I mean, they would push real hard and they would physically push me out of the way. And that was like not a lot I could do except be faster. And so train harder and, and be faster. So older versions of each of those two guys, I don't think they would have done it. Younger versions of them. Oh, I guarantee they would have. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. They did. <laughs> right. I've seen and heard stories. So, you know, what? older versions would too, Leonard, because I tell you what, we don't change, you know, I wish (laughs) I could physically, I wish I could physically do what my mind thinks I could do. Oh, I know me too. Me too. But, uh, you know, I I would find myself driving up to work and in my little tiny car and some big fast car would pass me and and I'd have my little car in the revel mirror. I'm like, no, you're not going to pass me. Da, 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 da. And it's like, gosh, my kid's like, my, my son's like, hi, mom, just let him go. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? You just don't understand. You, you don't understand. <laughs> right, right. In traffic, weaving your way through, trying to get there. Yeah, it's it's funny. So... Yeah, I think I think older versions of them. I'd I'd have to say they would do it because <laughs> I'd probably do it too. <laughs> Racing is. It, I don't think it ever leaves your your system. I mean, I loved going to the track uh, always, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, not getting to go as much now. It's it, it, it. I really have to stay in touch with those young men and women that are racing that I've gained, uh, you know, friendships with through the podcast and I'm texting them and finding out how they're doing and, you know, just back and forth, uh, just to, to stay involved, just to get that little bit of racing feel back. Right. Right. I, I know I, I completely, I hear what you're saying. I, I miss it tremendously too. And, 
and uh, um, it, it it doesn't leave. It's it's just it's just something you know that that once you've gotten a taste of it and it gets in your blood, it it just doesn't leave your blood. You know, but um, um, I when you how how much fun was the reunion for you? Not to cut oh, you off. Sorry. It was amazing. I had so much fun. Um, and it was funny because I was thinking, gosh, we all needed to have like our jerseys on with our with our names on our back or something like that. <laughs> because it had been, God, what had it been? 40 years, 38 years since we'd seen each other, you know? Yep. Crazy long time. But that was that was outstanding. I can't even describe with words how much I enjoyed that reunion. I mean, I hope we do another one because it was so fun seeing everybody and so fun catching up with, with everybody and, and uh, uh, sharing old times and, and just realizing, and it, and it struck me so deep again, not to sound redundant, but how lucky I was to have grown up in a time where ATV racing was just at its absolute height and to, to be involved with that and, and, and all of those people and, and been able to grow up with that was just outstanding. I mean, I am so fortunate and so lucky that I was around in that time to be able to do that. And I just realized after talking with all those people there and, and just had the time of my life, um, what an amazing time that was. Our kids missed out, didn't they? Oh my gosh. It was just, and it was, I just, and, and even to, even to this day, I just think back and think, wow, that was just what a, what a wonderful part of my life. You know, how lucky was I that I had the supportive parents that allowed me to do it. You know, my mom and dad put their heart and soul, they put their lives on hold so they could truck me around all the races and give me all the support and, and, uh, um, everything that I needed to race, you know, they, they, uh, supplied, I worked hard, you know, um, I had to work very hard to, to be fast and, and do what I did, but they held up their part, like nobody's business. I wouldn't have been able to do what I do if it wasn't for my mom and dad, you know, and then my, the, the people that stood behind me and Wayne and, and all of my sponsors that, that helped us, financially be able to do that so right yeah. and and how much did your mom and dad enjoy it oh my gosh they loved it so we had so much fun it was it was a lifestyle you know it was an absolute lifestyle it was it wasn't like what are we going to do this weekend it's like all right are we ready to go this weekend you know and and it was an it was a lifestyle for us all they gave up everything but when they gave up everything you know their own social lives to do it it just, it became, you know, the whole racing community, you know, is such a family that, that you're just, you're part of this traveling family that goes from race to race and the golden state nationals and staying at the hotels and, and being on the road. And, and you're, you're up there with a family, you know, in the Mickey Thompson races, it's a, it's one big traveling family, you know, and, and so they absolutely loved it as well, too. I think some of the, best people I've ever met in the world were on an ATV track. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, the community, the, the, the community and the racing was, was, you know, just everybody helped everybody, you know, they could always come over to our pits because my mom always had fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so we always had, we always had the best lunches, you know, so everybody could, could always come over to our pits for the, for the fried chicken and good lunches. And, and, uh, if you needed anything, there was always somebody there to help. And, and, you know, so it was just outstanding. I think that's what ATV racing still all about is you see the groups helping groups or, or, you know, a person needs something and there's always somebody in the crowd that's going to help them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see people take their bikes apart to take a part off here. You know, I'm not going to race this bike this weekend or it's my backup. Here you go. You know, you just, you know, give it back to me at the end of the day or whatever. Right. And, uh, right. You know. Yeah. The community part of it is, is, um, you know, again, it's just, it's a, it's a family and you argue with your family and you fight with your family and you try and knock your family off the bike in the racetrack. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, it's, we're all, we're all, uh, 
we're all for the better good, which is promoting the sport and doing what's best for the sport at the same time too. Cause the whole purpose of that is promoting the sport. And so that can't be that, that can't get lost in the competition either is we're out there doing it to promote it, to get more people into it. Exactly. I, I agree. And, and, you know, we miss the old times and the things that, you know, that we got to, that we got away with mm-hmm. that we got to do that you can't do today. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we got to go race in stadiums and do things in, in racing in other portions of California that now are housing tracks right? or, or neighborhoods that th- these young people will never get to see right what we did and it's and it's sad because it is and and i was having a conversation like that with a friend today that that all these places and trails that used to be open and and everything's just getting closed down you know the trails are getting closed down and ohv places our parks are getting closed down and and it's no longer just areas where you can go ride there it's it's hard to go out and ride it's hard to go out and enjoy this stuff you know and it's expensive and if they can charge you to park now, they charge you to park and just the expenses that have, that, that goes into it. I don't know how people can afford it these days. It's really sad, you know? Well, I have a line for that, but we try to stay away from politics here. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you know exactly where I'm going. I, 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 I know exactly where you're going and we're on the same page. It, 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 it is a shame. There are places that you can ride a lot that's not as bad, but the machinery just costs so much more. You know, you, you bought a LT250 for $1,800 back in the day and, you know, a TRX250Rs were $2,300 when they came out. And now you, you can't buy, you go buy a Yamaha 450, it's ten grand. Right. Oh, it's crazy. I know. I don't know how people can afford it. And then the gas, the race gas, I mean, it's like $22, $23 a gallon for race gas. It's yep. insane. It, you know, it, it's absolutely insane. I went to, to fill up with some race gas. I had not bought race gas. It must have been 15 years that I bought race gas. And I went to the VP store and said, hey, I need like five gallons of race gas. And he's like, all right. And he said, you want to prepay it? And I said, yeah, I'll prepay it. Like I literally pulled out like 40 bucks. <laughs> he was like, it'll be on. Oh, I apologize for that clock. <laughs> nice. You like that? I do. Um, I told you. Brings back, bring back memory. <laughs> it's not your grandma's clock. <laughs> but the guy was like, yeah, it's going to be $112 and, or $120. And I was like, for five gallons? I'm like, what? <laughs> Five gallons, yep. and yep. Uh, like I, I was thinking, forty dollars was going to be like huge expensive. So I don't know. Yeah, how to it's it. it's ridiculous. You know, it's totally ridiculous. But everything that you go to the grocery store, buy some eggs. You know, everything's ridiculously priced nowadays. Oh, a trip to the grocery store for like six or seven items is a hundred dollars. It's crazy. So, I. I don't know how no. young people can survive, much less, you know, have the toys and all that that we had. And uh, again, such a fortunate time, you know, and and I feel like I was so fortunate because I grew up in the mountains on a forest service compound where I could ride in the all season, every season, all season long um, in the snow in in I in the dirt, through the forest, through the tree, I you name it. I mean, I had such a great playground of, of practice and fun places to to go ride my uh, my quad and my three wheeler. So I don't I don't think that you could do that nowadays. No, Mm-mm. not in that area. No, everything's you might be able to snow ski, but so it's now yeah, it's like the the national forest was closed for a long time. They closed the forest down and put gates up everywhere and locked it all up, and so it's pretty sad. And that's the people's land. It is, but they got to protect the people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they do. But we won't get into that. But, you know, I I got on my soapbox. One of the podcasts I was doing with some three-wheeler guys, and we were talking about uh, land issues and things like that. And it was, um, 
they were pretty supportive about it and didn't get on me too bad. But um, I, I was pretty heated there for a couple minutes. It just, you yeah. know. It, I understand. We used to be able to ride in our front yard. Mm-hmm. And now there's houses in it. Mm-hmm. I know. So Unbelievable. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I fly airplanes and they complain about noise at an airport that's been there 40 years before the houses ever were. <laughs> yeah, should have moved somewhere else. Don't. Yeah. The yeah, Elkhorn Speedway was was there for I don't even know how many years and they got rid of it. And yeah. I'm just like scratching my head thinking how, you know, San Diego Airport can't mm-hmm. fly in after 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Really? You know what? You should have moved somewhere else if you didn't want the oh, noise. I know. It, it was there when you built your house. I am right there with you. So, you know, is what it is. Shannon, I want to thank you so much for your time. And, 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 you know, we need to bring more of the old school, for lack of a better term, history back to the ATV world. I don't think any of the young people really know what we got to do and some of the things that were out there when ATV racing was still young. Right. Right. Yeah. And and we do that. That needs to be brought back, you know, and it was, gosh, it was just, it was an absolute heyday, you know, and places like Riverside Raceway and, and, and Corona Raceway and Saddleback Raceway and, Verona Oaks. I mean, it was just, you could go anywhere and you can go race. And, and so many people were there, there would be, you know, like I said, my first race, I think there was like 30, you know, there was more than 20 guys. There must've been 30 guys on the line, you know, in the beginner class. I mean, there was like, and and there's what, four classes, there's 150 bikes, 150 ATCs there to race all four classes, beginner, novice, amateur pro. I mean, it was crazy you know, how, how many people were at these races and, uh, and every single race that was just, it was a huge line of, of guys full throttle down to the first turn and just, there was nothing like it, you know? No, I, I remember when they raced three wheelers and four wheelers at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, that didn't last very long, but it, it, it wasn't as dangerous as everybody thought it was. And, you know, there, there are, there's, you're in an extreme sport. You, you can get hurt, you know, unloading it out of the truck. I right. mean, so come on, why are we making it? Why are we making it a big issue? I mean, there's so many other things that people are getting hurt doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't Back see on the them. freeway has the most fatalities. <laughs> yeah, but they're not banning cars. You know, I mean, if you want to look at that proportionate numbers, you know, and that's, that's, and that's a fair way to look at things is taking, take the proportion, you know? So let's look at things proportionately then. Right. How, how about bathtubs? Yeah. I think they're oh, dangerous. Oh, they should ban those too. Right. Yeah. My, but, yeah, my, 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 my stove tried to kill my kid. It was crazy. I did like beat it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my other voice. <laughs> Uh, that's too funny (laughs) young lady i want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and and talking with us um i know that i don't even think you had any idea that there were anything like this for the atv industry when you showed up at the reunion Mm -hmm. and being able to tell your story and and talk about what it was like when you were racing and letting the, the young ladies know of today that you rode with the men in the pro class Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, and competitively, you know, and it was, it was so fun. I mean, just what a good time, but you know, just, it would be great to see, it would be great to see a lineup of, of, of ladies, a lineup of women racers enough to, to, to fill a full class, you know, a couple of classes, an amateur and a pro line and, you know, even beginner novice. And it would just be great to see that. And then, you know, again, as, as you, as you matriculate through it and, and, uh, um, dominate and class to class to class and move into the next class, you know, move up into the, 
into the men's class, you know? Exactly. And so, exactly. That, you know, it's, it's the, just progress through it, you know? I agree. I think. Competition going. I agree. You know, we've had some amazing women champion champions in the sport. And I think that they need more exposure as well. They don't, we don't, they don't get enough and there's not as many of them. So it's, it's a smaller pool. I try to reach out to as many as I possibly can to get them to come on the show. Um, And I got a lot of the younger ladies to come on, um, but not as many of the older ladies would want to sit down. And I don't mean older, sorry, I didn't mean it that way. Um, First generation, second generation, third generation. I know what you're saying. You know, you got to be careful whatever you say. And I'm first generation. What does that do to me? (laughs) First generation. Hey, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, So it's a pleasure talking with you. And it brings back a lot of memories for me, too, because you you don't realize how long you've done it until you start thinking back. I was there when they made that first machine or I remember those 110s and the 90s and and. Yeah. And I started on those and I looked, I had, I had magazine pictures I would cut out of my favorite writers and I'd kind of, and, and it's like, I'm going to be like that. And I'd go and I'd, I'd have to tell my dad, I need, I need those, those Honda pants, dad. I need those. I need, we, we need, I need those. And he's like, do you know how much of those are? And I was like, no, I, I just need those and I'll go fast. I know I'll go fast if I wear those same clothes. And <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to mimic everything all the all the top guys were doing at the time, all the team Honda guys on those 250Rs. And and uh that was one thing that I didn't get was the 250R because I went to the quad. And so so uh but you got to ride with the Suzuki people, oh, which yeah. had just as many big names on those. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the ATCs were starting to, they were starting to be because of, and I think, I think, uh, I think Jimmy had kind of focused on, on the, uh, the demise of the ATC and and what had plagued the ATC at the time back then and and kind of caused the demise of that. Um, And then the shift to quads. And so I was kind of at the tail end of the ATC thing moving into the quads. And so that was kind of a transitionary point from the ATCs were back when I kind of had was was just starting and, and playing around on it and then starting on my 200X and racing the 200X. And I was racing that against the 250Rs and I was beating the guys on the 250Rs. And that's when Wayne came over and he was like, oh, my God, kid, you know, like here we got this girl on a on a four stroke 200X that's out there racing the top amateurs and some of the, 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 the guys that were transitioning to pro and she's beating them on a slower machine as a girl, as a kid. <laughs> and so, right. And so it was like, we need to get this kid on a, on a, on a, on a two fifty quad. And at first my dad was like, Oh heck no. He's like, she's not going to ride a two fifty. And Wayne said, no, she needs to. It's like, she, she can't ride this machine any more than it already is. She's like, she's going to kill this machine. And I, I remember I'd broke the, the 200 X a couple of times and broke the suspension and the swing arm. And, you know, I was just trashing it. And so we made the switch over to the, to the quad and, and it was like, wow, this is, this is way better. I'm way faster on this. And <laughs> <laughs> like, this is way more fun. <laughs> Dad's going. I don't know if I like this much. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, I know. My poor dad. I felt bad for my mom because she wanted my dad to be at every race. And the, the one time, I mean, I was lucky. I didn't have a lot of injuries. I mean, I did, but uh, um, I didn't have a lot of broken bones and all that at the time, you know, other than my my uh, collarbone. And my mom was there by herself when I, you know, impaled myself into the top arch at the Coliseum there. And, uh, but it was, uh, that, that whole transition thing I did, I missed a lot of the ATC stuff, but they were, they were mixing, you know, they had no place to put me. So they put me in the 250R class. And so I was racing the, the, there was four classes. So I was kind of in the amateurs, but I was winning the amateur stuff in the 200X. So that was kind of, Hey, we had, we had a lot of good runs with our 200s in the 250 classes. So it was it was great 
That was so, fun. It was excellent. a lot of fun. As always, I want to extend an invitation to you to come back for future shows or future information um, because I'm sure that we only covered a small portion of your racing career and, and some of your life story versus just getting deep into uh, certain race seasons or certain events uh, in your career. So I'm going to extend the invitation to have you come back at some point and, and talk with us more. I really appreciate it. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International, Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events. Builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world. And they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to duncantechinternational at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 